After a while, I looked in the mirror and realised, wow, after all those scars and bruises, after all those trials, I really made it through. I did it. I survived that which was supposed to kill me. So I straightened my crown and I walked away like a boss. Welcome to the Two Roads Travel podcast. Two sisters, two journeys, one purpose. Changing perceptions and judgments around alcohol misuse. The impact on the drinker, family and society as a whole. Too many struggle alone, so please remember us when you chat to someone that may need help. Remember, we also run a closed Facebook group for Daughters of Alcoholics, so for those that want some more individual support, please go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Daughters of Alcoholics. Next time is our last episode of Series 3. Episode 24 is a really common issue for families affected by a loved one's drinking and for many children of alcoholics. It affects them well into their adult life. We talked to Laurie Bruton, the daughter of a drinker, about people-pleasing and how she slipped into that role and realised in her adult life the consequences it brought. Be sure to join us on the 19th of July. Hello and welcome to the Two Roads Travelled podcast. In this episode, Joe and Paula are talking with Jenny Hardman about two things that arguably are not spoken about enough, alcoholism and domestic abuse. How often is domestic abuse openly discussed? The negativity and shame that surrounds the subject can mean that many do not speak up about it. Sufferers hide the fact that they are victims. What impact does this have on the children in a relationship? Even if they themselves are not physically hurt, children can still witness horrifying situations. Enough exposure to this can lead to normalisation. What support can young people get as they go through their teenage years? How can the cycle be broken and vulnerable young people be encouraged to not behave the same way as their parents did? Jenny is a business coach. She's passionate about supporting business owners who are survivors, as their success can make it look as if they're not in need of any help. Jenny herself is a survivor of domestic abuse by an alcoholic, suicidal parent. With Jenny's experience of mental health, alcohol misuse and domestic violence, both as a child and as an adult, she's the perfect person to interview about these issues. Hello everyone, it's Hi, Paula. Everyone. Done a bit of reflecting this week actually and uh, and what the old style Paula would, uh, how I'd uh, react to a situation, the new style Paula is, is taking a, a step back and uh, looking, looking more into um, where I play a part in a situation, um, how I deal with it, where I'm feeling it and uh, and it's left me feeling a bit peaceful, actually. Instead of getting irate and upset about something, I found um, peace within it somehow. It's quite strange. Anyway, um, I'm really looking forward to um, listening to uh, and taking part in this uh, podcast today because um, within my job, you know, domestic abuse comes up quite a lot with male and female. So, um it will be interesting just to hear some stuff and maybe I can learn stuff and uh, take it 
take it to work with me. So uh, yeah, be good. I think it's really nice to, um, you know, do that reflection and kind of go inside and, and also the fact that you've reflected on how you would have, and I, how you would have reacted in the past. And it's interesting, isn't it? It's like the old Paula or the, you know, and it's that, those terms that we use about ourselves or the, the old Paula would have done this, but the new Paula, <laughs> in a sense, they're the same person, <laughs> but we kind of refer to it like, yeah, a different time and place, isn't it? Um, yeah. I think for me this week, um, it, in our last episode, I, I said I'm going to like reflect and talk about reflecting on what's happened during my week and or what's been happening. And um, for the past few days, and probably a good few weeks, I've been reflecting on things like relationships, my reactions to things, um, things like PTSD, flashbacks, all of that kind of stuff. And it's um, it's it's stuff that I've always known has been there, but not enough to kind of affect my life on a day-to-day -day basis necessarily. Um, and so you know i i've decided to go and speak to somebody uh, because it's hard to therapy yourself um i find um especially with things complex like ptsd and things like that and it's just one of the things that it's highlighted for me is my inability to cope particularly well with difference um not difference in opinions but difference in people's behaviors so if they behave in a way that I struggle with, I find that quite hard to cope with and manage. And I don't know how to sit with that. I don't know how to deal with it, to cope with it, to not let those emotions get the better of me or to um, actually probably accept it um, so that it no longer um, bothers me. And I think also what has come up these past few weeks is how easily irritated I get by other people. And I think it's also linked, you know, to my hypersensitivity, which again is also linked, you know, to PTSD and other things. So that's been quite interesting for me to reflect on this week. And actually it has brought up some things that connect with this topic today. Um, and so I think it's um, good timing, actually. It's quite interesting timing that this, this episode's come up right right as it has and i think that's the universe at work <laughs> um yes so yeah um today we are talking to jenny and jenny has um been in you know a situation similar to, you know she's experienced living with somebody's drinking um and also domestic um abuse and um i was looking at her website before um before we came on here and she's got a little section on there about her story and so I thought I'd quickly read that before I let her loose <laughs> and um, get her to introduce herself. So here we go. This is, what, this is what it says. There was a young girl who was lost, not lost in the wilderness, lost within her own life. She didn't feel safe. She was scared of the entire world that surrounded her. In her family home laid a dark secret. Nobody knew. That she lived with a monster, not the mythical under your bed kind, the human kind. The scene unfolded like a horror movie, bloody handprints on the walls, blood spattered across the hallway leading into the room of horror. This sight 
was one that would change for her life forever. Her mum had been at attacked again, this time with dramatic consequences. This time, it was her face. This was not a one-off event, although this was the last time. Everything changed. She viewed the world and everything in it as evil. Everyone and everything was a threat that she had to fight. And she did it. She fought. This was not a life one would choose, scared, uneasy and reluctant to live. The pattern continued throughout her adult life, accepting this behavior as normal, as this is all she ever known. It took a similar event within her own life to wake her up and see that something needed to change. She needed to change. She started on a journey of self-discovery and realized that she had the power to change her own life. She was the one, only one, who could have the power. Not only did she have the power to change her own life, she had the power to help others. And that is exactly what she did. I thought that was amazing. I yeah, that's goosebumps and tears in my eyes when you're reading that. <laughs> that was. Um, I love a bit of empowerment. All I love the empowerment. Um, it was I just the, it. It was the, the section I guess that resonated with me the most was this, you know, the pattern continued throughout her adult life, accepting this behaviour as normal, um, because all of this was all she'd ever known, and I think a lot of us can relate to that. So welcome, Jenny, and. Um, Hopefully that was a good introduction. <laughs> I, I, I was really touched by that. So yeah, please do introduce yourself and give us kind of an overview of your, your experiences, really. I was going to say, you're going to have me crying on this now. I'm, I'm not normally emotional, but to have somebody else read yeah. my story out is quite powerful. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, when you write it yourself, it's just, it's your own story. But when somebody else is reading it, it's, you see it from a different angle and you're like, and you wow. hear it, don't you? Yeah, you're hearing yeah. it, it's different. Yeah, so good morning everybody and, and you guys, thank you so much for having me on here and uh, to hear my story. Um, I'm Jenny Hardman and my story overcomes a lifetime of domestic abuse. It's not just one incident. Um, I grew up in a little tiny place in, in on the borders of Bolton and, so well, yeah, Bolton and Salford on a, on a council estate and it's what I thought was a normal life. I didn't know any different. Um, I grew up with just me and my mum um, until my brother and sister arrived uh, when my mum got remarried. Um, it all started when my brother was born. Um, he, was he was 10 years younger than me and it was the first incident that I saw of, of any sort of abuse. I knew it went on because I heard it. When I was a young child, I was always told to stay in my room and I could hear it through the walls. I could hear, you know, the thuds. I could hear the, the screaming. I could hear the shouting and the crying, but I was always told to stay in my room. And as, as a younger child, you don't know what to do. It's scary because you're in a world and you're thinking, what's going on? There's nobody there to comfort you. There's nobody there to tell you what's going on. And, and you just, you know, what's happening to my mum? Because she was all I had in the world. And that's when the drinking started. Obviously, my mum um, hadn't developed a healthy coping mechanism for what was going on. And she started drinking and she started drinking heavily. Um, as I grew up through my teenage years, I used to question my mum on her, her drinking and um, we were always told, I'm not an alcoholic, I just like a drink. And th that is the same answer to this day, you know, and we, we, 30 years later on, it's, it's the same. Now, luckily, she, she has curbed the, the drinking quite a lot now, 30 years later on. 
but it was constant it was every single night and obviously when both of them were drinking it would escalate the situation that was going on between them both um when i got to my elder teenage years i became the parent because obviously finally thank goodness after that episode that i wrote about in my story they had separated and they, they, they did start on divorce proceedings that's when the drinking got progressively worse by the time I was 17, um, I'd been working for two years. Um, I'd been getting any, any money that I possibly could to get out of that situation because I knew that it didn't make me feel right. It, it, just, it was making me depressed. I'd gone through multiple suicide attempts as a young teenager just to escape from what I was dealing with because it was, it was daily. It consumes you. Um, so I moved out at 17. Got my first mortgage at 18 and people ask me like how, how did you do that you know i had a fantastic job i had a mortgage we had our first daughter at 20 and it looked like i had the perfect life now for me i pushed to have anything or the furthest thing away from what i'd experienced as a child i didn't want to to experience that anymore i pushed to go as far in the opposite direction as possible when i started having my own children my mum was living alone with my two younger siblings and there was constant um, police um, episodes, let's say, um, where my mum was drinking at a weekend and she was arguing with the neighbours and she took the fence down and all sorts of silly things. You know, she's just going going off, off the rails as I put it. And then it started, it started getting progressively worse. Now I appreciate I was a, an older teenager at this point um, and I didn't physically live with her, but I was still utterly consumed by this environment because I lived on the next street. Every single Friday, without fail, I would get a phone call off my mum. I'm going to do it. I can't cope. I can't cope anymore. I'm saying goodbye. Now for any child to hear that is absolutely terrifying. So every Friday I used to go around to go and comfort her and soothe her to see what was going on. She could not cope with what had happened and she would drink to drown out the pain and the trauma because she hadn't been to therapy. She didn't believe in therapy. Um, she thought it was all woo woo and, you know, there's no points and it's life. Just deal with it. But she didn't know how to deal with it. And this went on for about a period of a year. Now, as I said, in this period, my mum was living with my younger brother and sister, so they were 10 years younger than me. My, my sister's 13 years younger. So even though I was 20, 22, my brother and sister were only, you know, little children, you know, between eight and 12 at that time. I was becoming the parent of them yeah. because I was having to make sure that they were, I'm not, she's not a bad parent. And, and you know, I love my mum to death. She, she did the best she could with what she had. Yes, they were fed. Yes, they were dressed. Yes, they went to school. They had the basic needs, but anything else, emotional needs, well-being needs, they weren't being met because she didn't know how to handle her own mental health and well-being. So she couldn't she couldn't do this for the younger ones. Um, and also growing up in that environment as well, I didn't know how to handle my mental health and well-being. Um, so what happened from there is I didn't realize at the time I'd actually entered into a relationship that was abusive. Now I'd been with this guy since I was 14. So he was the only person I had in the world other than the, my mum, which was an abusive situation. And do you know what? To this day is the love of my life. And I don't care what anybody says. We're actually best friends now. And I will explain later how, how that has happened for anybody who's thinking what? Um, I didn't realize at the time as a, as a young teenager, that it was an abusive relationship. And it all started with the, we should wear your hair down rather than up. You're not going to wear makeup. You've got a spot. 
you're not you're not wearing that going to Tesco, are you, to the supermarket? You're going to actually get dressed up, and it was little things just chipping away at my self worth and my self confidence over years. Uh, we got married. We had uh, we actually had four children together, um, but in between that, after the third child, he actually became physically abusive, and this all became over a mobile phone. Uh, he wanted to check my mobile phone. Now it turns out at the time he was actually cheating but he wanted to check my mobile phone to check that I wasn't doing it and um, my response was well I'm not having yours you're not having mine and that escalated into a physical altercation that lasted around three hours now luckily the neighbors called the the um the authorities to come and help out by that time he'd already gone I was an absolute mess physically and mentally and when the police arrived I was with the dustpan and brush I remember it now and I'm not I'm not laughing is in I have to laugh at the situation because it's it's the only way that I cope with it um I was just on my hands and knees with a dustpan and brush just sweeping up all the the you know the debris from the windows that had been smashed the doors that had been smashed and the police knocked on the door and said, it's all right, love, we'll, we'll do it. I was like, well, it's all right. It's fine. I'll carry on doing it. And I went and made them a cup of tea and I acted like nothing had happened. And I think the police officers were more shocked with that than they were with the state of anything else. But I grew up in an environment where that was normal. That was normal pretty much every week of my life. So the fact that police were coming round and I had, you know, three riot vans on the, the, the street and police officers coming in to see what had happened, that was entirely normal. Now, luckily, my children weren't, weren't there at that point, so they, they weren't involved in that. Stupidly, I, got, I had him back because um, he told me he would never do it again. When I was a teenager, I always said, you know, to my mum, he tells you every time you won't do it again. Why do you keep going back to him? You're stupid. Stop going back to him. You deserve more. And I developed the same pattern. And I went back to him because he told me he wouldn't do it again. Because I loved him and he loved me. So why would he do it again? It was an accident. You know, I didn't do what he wanted me to do. So if I'd have done what he wanted me to do, he, he wouldn't have done it. So I went back. And they got progressively worse. And it came to a point, um, we separated and we lived in separate houses. Um, because we both realised something wasn't working. And... As an adult now looking back we both couldn't manage our mental health and what we'd been through as children and we just came together and it was like Phew. so i understand now why we both reacted in the ways we did um not to say that's right when we lived in separate houses we were still kind of together but not if that makes sense and i went round to his one day and we were getting a little bit getting a little bit intimate you know as you do and that was the day that shocked me the most this was a man that I'd loved since I was 14 years old. He'd been with me every single day. We had four children together. Yes, we had things that had gone on. Um, but in the middle of the situation, it was hurting. I told him to stop. He didn't stop. It got worse and worse and worse. And after the episode had happened, I kind of got up and sat there and thinking, what is going on? What has just happened? Has that just really happened? Was that a dream? Did he really do that? Did he know he was doing that? And all these questions were swimming around my head. Going, I don't know what I've done wrong. You know, I was doing what he wanted to do. What, what, why? And I reached out to a family member and said, look, this, is, this has happened. What do I do? She told me I deserved it. This was a female family member that told me that I deserved it. He was very good at manipulating everyone around us in terms of I was the psychopath, I was the one with problems, 
because he would only push me, if that makes sense, in public so I would react badly. So I looked like the person that was reacting all the time and he was this sweet, innocent little boy, you know, with blue eyes, nice suit, nice car, he was Mr. Amazing. So I was the, I was the one that was in the wrong. So I was told that I deserved it. So I stayed in that situation. I stayed in that situation for another three years with that happening repeatedly every single night because I was told I deserved it. And it only stopped when I kind of started speaking to somebody else, not in a romantic way, but I, a friend reached out and, and we were just having a conversation and I realized that this was actually a damaging situation. It wasn't just damaging for me, it was damaging for my children to watch that this was a normal relationship. This is what to expect in a relationship. And that was the, the, the snapping point for me when I realized, do you know what? I grew up in this environment and I learned that this was normal behavior. My children are growing up in this environment. Oh my gosh, if that happened to my daughter, I wouldn't know what, what I would actually do. I'd end up you know, being arrested for something quite serious if someone did that to my daughter. So I, I knew something had to change at that point. And obviously we went through the divorce proceedings and everything else. And he was still quite abusive. There was the, the stalking, um, you know, he was controlling with money every time. You know, he'd say, I've put, I've put your money in your account. So that's the maintenance for the four children. It's not my money, they're your children. And I think a lot of people think that abuse is just physical. Abuse is not just physical. And I don't want to upset anybody out there, but from my experience, physical abuse is the easiest to get over. It is the mental torture that is the worst thing to get through because bruises heal, you know, broken bones heal. Yeah. How do you heal your brain? How do you heal those connections in your brain that says when you do this this happens when then when this happens this happens how do you heal that it you can't stick a plaster on it um over the last 10 years um we've actually developed a really good friendship and how we've done that is when i was younger my mum say it was toxic when i was younger my mum and my dad and my mum and my, my stepdad um it was all drinking abuse suicide it was just horrendous and I didn't want that for my children. So I went to therapy and I said, how can I build a co-parenting relationship with someone like that? This is what I want to do. Not for me, because I know it's gonna be the hardest thing that I will ever do in my life. I want to do it for the children. And I was told that I needed to go to the police. I needed to you know, report him for what he'd done and put him in prison. And I really wanted to do that. I really wanted him to suffer for what he'd done. I really wanted him to regret it. And the thing about this is we can't make other people regret it. We can't make other people feel anything. And the longer we hold on to that hurt and that pain, the only person we're hurting is ourselves because they don't know how we're feeling. They don't feel it. They go on with their merry life like nothing's happened because they don't see they've done anything wrong. So I sat down and it was probably for about a year, I ummed and ahed about this. Do I report him to the police? Because I knew he'd go for, to prison for a very long time for the sustained attacks, because he went on for years. And I thought, how would my children react? <clears throat> Excuse me, how would my children react growing up, knowing that, that de their dad is a, you know, I'm not gonna say the word that begins with R, but how would they grow up knowing their dad is a, how would they grow up and what life would they had, have? What, what would happen at school with the other children knowing that their dad is that? How would that impact them? that would impact them a hell of a lot more over their lifetime 
than it would me co-parenting with him. So I decided that I wouldn't report him. It was documented on the divorce paperwork that that's what he'd done. And he agreed to sign that. Um, in, it, then I wouldn't obviously proceed with reporting him. And that for me was enough because that was his admission. He admitted he'd done it. And that for me was enough. Great, we can move past it. We've both been through therapy since then. And we both realized that we reacted in ways due to what had happened to us as, as children. Now, as an adult, this has presented different situations for me. Because now I understand why people do things, I kind of let them get away with it. Because I'm like, oh, I know why you're doing that. You're doing that because of X, Y, and Z. And that led me to my second marriage. My second marriage was also abusive. I hadn't quite learned. And I, I believe, and you said something earlier about the universe bringing you know, things to you. I, I believe we, we have to learn our lessons. You know, exactly. the universe brings things to us. If we haven't learned our lesson, it'll put it through us, it puts through exactly, it again. Exactly, yeah. And I was with him for eight years. And again, he was, he was Mr. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. He made, made me felt like the only girl in the world. Um, and this lasted for two years until the um, the lies started to come out. But they weren't just little ones. You know, there were there were firearms involved. There were drugs involved. It was alcohol involved. There was, oh, there was all sorts involved. And I felt like I'd been dropped into, felt like I'd been dropped into the Bronx or something, into a different world entirely. I knew I grew up in environment that wasn't great. But I'd just been jumped out of the frying pan, as you say, into the fire. I thought, what have I brought my children into? Because at this point I was married to him and we lived together. What had I done? And again, I went through the same patterns. He won't do it again. He tells me he loves me. And looking back now, I think, why? Why did I do that? And it's all because, like I said earlier, physical bruises heal. Mental ones don't. And it's a pattern that I've been in since I was two years old when the first abuse started when I was, you know, as a little one. So to change the patterns, what you've learned from being two, when you're 35, that's a heck of a long time to tell a heck of a lot of patterns to undo. So it takes time. Um, you've, you've got a couple of questions on here as well. Have I developed some healthy behaviors because of it? Yeah. I yeah. think the unhealthy behaviors that I've, you know, developed because of it is staying in these situations because it's what I think is normal. And you know it's what, it was interesting normal. when you talked about something that has, has been, I've noticed and been very aware of for a long time in is this whole, you know, you were sweeping up all the mess, carrying on as normal, all of that stuff. And we belittle these massive things, like you say, because it's our normal. And when we've lived in those sorts of environments, we, like you say, we don't think anything of it. We do not give it the, um, I don't know if gravitas is the right word, but the, you know, the huge, severity. <laughs> the severity that it deserves, basically. And I think mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we, we kind of play that down um, and make out like it's, like it is our normal, it's nothing big, but actually then it can mess up with our, our thinking and how we behave in our normal day-to-day -day life because then we put ourselves in these dangerous situations um not consciously subconsciously because that's our normal and we think oh well yeah i've been here before i know what this is all about i just carry on doing these things because that's what i'm comfortable with not consciously subconsciously and um then you end up um 
again, I think it is really belittling it. It's just minimizing it and not really appreciating this is a massive thing that had just happened to you and you're cleaning up. Yeah. And I know it, I've been in those situations, definitely, and just like carried on. I mean, Paula, I'm sure you can relate to this, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I remember dad, he'd, uh, I think it's when I just, uh, I just clicked on that he'd started drinking again. And um, I was on my own in the house with him. And um, I think I might have challenged him on the fact because I just knew straight away when he picked up a drink. And uh, he had me by the scruff of my neck up against the wall. And that's when I knew, I was like, okay, so this, I'm up against the wall and I know he's drinking. And um, okay, so I just tell mum later. That's how normal it was. You know, um, and then when obviously we do tell, we did tell mum, she found it very hard to believe. But, you know, there's the normality of either, you know, being grabbed by or being threatened. You know, it's like, OK, so, yeah, we just deal with that, you know, and I and I and I do the same. I don't tend to look at the severity of, no, of what's no. going on day to day in my adult life, even down to what's going on at the moment with the COVID. I don't see <laughs> people could be cross with this, you know, I suppose because I haven't been impacted by it, I don't really feel the severity of what's going on and people losing other people. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm completely detached from that kind of emotion. I find that really, really difficult as an adult now to, I have empathy and I care and I'm very kind and, you know, all of those things. But there is a huge detachment within me against um, anything serious because yeah. I'm not shocked anymore. I don't get shocked. I'm oh, not I think surprised. That that's that's a me. big risk factor, though. The fact that we it is. don't, it is. you know, we do not sort of you know we're not phased by much we don't see no. anything as big deal and actually that there is something very worrying about that we need it to is. be very mindful of danger and things and take it with the severity of which it it has you know the severity it's like i'm missing on. that connection it, that connection's just not there yeah I was talking to my, um, I say therapist, and she's more of a mentor to me now. So we, we just go on once a week now just to talk about life, you know, what, what I've gone through this week and how can I do that better? That, that's kind of where I'm at now in terms of rather than talking about the past, it's how can I do that better? And um, we were talking about the whole COVID, you know, how people are coping. And I've got friends around me that are completely melting like completely melting having breakdowns and they can't cope and i'm like it's making any difference it's just it's just <laughs> life you know what it is all right it's just different you know this is a new normal and um my, my, my mentor just said jen you're used to living in you know absolute chaos yeah, yeah. so when chaos comes along this is where you feel safe this is where yeah. you feel normal yeah so this is where you're comfortable <laughs> And I'm like, oh, that's quite scary. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm only comfortable in chaos. How yeah. do I become comfortable in non-chaos? And I think and that's, that's... Yeah, and I think yeah. That when, it, when things are normal, that's actually when you, you panic. tend to become more on high alert. 
of 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 what what's going on because this is all you know a bit nice you know so i think chaos you know and it's 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 nothing but also i think that that lends us to constantly or sometimes i and i can relate to this years ago feel bored when there's no drama and that i speak you know lots of daughters of alcoholics lots of families you know they feel this because they're so used to that drama that drive that excitement it's like when you don't have that you feel like your life's boring or if you actually it's met like someone your adrenaline's decent, going isn't it yeah and when it's you your meet hormones it decent, produces isn't it yeah that's going to treat you well you're like oh no this is boring this guy is like or this girl or whatever <laughs> is like not going to keep me interested because there's no drama here and i think until you get to a place where you do realize and start to sort of identify like I say, the severity of these things and actually understand that those things are not normal and it's not okay for those people to do that. And sometimes we can think that we get that, but we actually don't. We logically say, oh yeah, I know that's not right. Um, Of course it's not right for someone to hit you. But underneath that, very deeply underneath that, we don't always believe that. We can say the words, but deep down inside, we're not demonstrating that we really truly believe that. Because I think, you know, when, when you're, it's not until you're in a situation, we can say, oh, well, if my husband cheated on me, that's it, I'd kick him out. But, you know, my husband did cheat on me and I didn't kick him out mm. because I loved him. Do you know what I mean? It's a whole different ball game unless you are in the mix of it. You don't know how you're going to react. You can, you know, theorize. Theorize is that that's not what really works. Made one up. <laughs> you can, you know, you can predict maybe um, how how you would react, but it's not until you're in the mix. It's a whole different story. Really, how really. How do you is. think that the alcohol, the combination of the alcohol with your mum, maybe made her more vulnerable? Do you think, or susceptible to certain things? I think. Well, we, we know when we drink alcohol, it kind of, it gets rid of some of our barriers, doesn't it? And things we want to say come out. So I think it heightened quite a lot. Um, and I missed out a massive part of the story there. I did tell you I was, you know, good for going off on a tangent somewhere. Um, when my mum divorced, she she got back with one of her, what we say, young gloves. And she was engaged to him many, many years ago before I was born. And um, great guy, sober. Mum's a great person, sober, but alcohol in the mix, absolutely toxic. And they were always fighting. But by this point, when I'd moved out when she was with this guy, I kind of left her to it. And I know that sounds absolutely harsh, but I can't change her. I can't help her if she doesn't want to change. And I wasn't putting myself in that situation every week when I can't help anybody. And one week I had a phone call. And at this point, I was eight months pregnant with my third. And um, it was my little brother, who at this point, I think was 13. And it was just, help me, help me, Jen, come and help me, help me, come and help me. And I thought, what the, what is going on? What what has gone on at the house this week where, I mean, by 13, he was six foot. He was a big lad. I thought, what has gone on? So I drove around in my car, eight months pregnant. You can imagine getting in the car like a, you know, big waddling penguin and um my mum lived on a council estate you've got the, the council flags we call them three by twos because they're, they're three foot by two foot and it was like a little kind of wall that went around the property and it was huddled up in a ball 
on the outside of the garden, hiding behind this wall. And I thought, oh my God, what am I going to walk into? And I picked him up and I couldn't pick him up. He was just sobbing. He was too heavy. I couldn't pick him up. And it took me about half an hour. What's gone on? He's hit me. He's hit me. Who's hit you? Because I didn't know he was in the house. At this point, I just flew into a rage. Didn't care that I was eight months pregnant. Didn't care who was in the house. Didn't, didn't, didn't care. And I went in. I cannot explain to you that the scene that unfolded, they were both in the living room dancing around like nothing had happened, just drunk. So I confronted, and this guy was like six foot two, he was a scaffolder, so he was huge. And I just said, why have, you, why have you hit my brother? He deserved it. <laughs> um, so I attacked him, um, stupidly. Luckily, he, he, he didn't, you know, come back to me on that. And while this was happening, my mum was laughing. She was just laughing. And I thought... She used alcohol to numb her own pain. Yeah. We know why she used alcohol. She used alcohol to numb her own pain from what she was dealing with. But it also dulled her senses and every ounce of everything she had for her children. She, she just, that, that, she didn't care about anything when she was in that state, which was scary because yeah. she had a, a smaller person upstairs. So obviously I, I attacked this guy um, and my mum was just stood there like kind of not even caring in the world that this violence was going on because it was all she'd, all she'd ever known for years. Um, I called the police and I think it's because the amount of domestic abuse calls that were made to my mum's house over the years, they didn't rush. Over an hour, me and my brother waited outside because I kept him outside just, just to wait for them over an hour and they hadn't arrived. So I took him to my house around the corner and when they turned up, they seemed a bit miffed that we weren't still there. And I was like, what? I think they'd got used to the fact that it, it happened all the time. They were used to it happening. So the police were like, no, we'll turn up when we turn up. It's just normal. And, and again, that was another shock for me in terms of why is this normal? Why are the police not responding to this quick enough? And um, I pressed charges. I pressed charges on him for, for hitting my brother. When they went round to see my mum and this gentleman, my mum pressed charges against me for attacking this guy. She was drunk. Now, if I asked her now about it, she'd say, no, I didn't. Mum, it's on the reports. You pressed charges against me for, for attacking your guy. But, you know, he was a massive guy. I didn't do any damage. I was, you know, I'm five foot eight and I was eight months pregnant. I hadn't done anything. Um, but they pressed charges. So I, I brought my brother and he lived with me. My brother lived with me for three years. I couldn't let him go back um, because she was always drunk. It never stopped. And if she was with the guy, she would get more drunk than normal. And we didn't engage with what was going on, if that makes sense. Now, at this point, my baby sister still lived there, but I wasn't her parent. I couldn't pull her out. I knew she was still happy. I knew she was still playing in the garden. She was still growing up. You know, she was she, she had everything she needed. But when they were drinking, I didn't get involved. And that, that's hurts me to this day that I turned a blind eye to it if that makes sense because when she was in bed and mum was drinking it was just kind of I can't help anything I can't go in and, and snatch her I, I can't do anything mm. they drank every single night but it was only at weekends where it got you know massively drinking for me my experience the the the, the violence goes hand in hand with the drink 
they weren't generally when I was younger violent unless they were drunk right. now as an as an adult um my first husband wasn't drunk when he was violent my second one was a second husband had a, a drug and alcohol problem so I, I dealt with it when I was a, a little person and then I dealt with it in a marriage as well where he hid away from his problems in the drink and the drugs now i've been researching psychology um nlp cbt i've done a lot of research over the last 10 years over my own just my own personal development so i can understand what's gone on because for me it was more how do i progress and move on with life and how do i build my own personal boundaries and how do i have respect for myself if i don't understand what went on what why why it happened that way oh how did you cope as a child like in that situation because i know you've talked and i know paula and i have both experienced this as well like being overly responsible in the home and having to do things that you wouldn't normally do as you know as a child so how yeah. did you actually sort of cope you know because we used to hear you know my dad arguing with my mum and you know having to sit on the stairs and listen to it and it's it's very traumatic you know and especially as we know with complex ptsd you know when things are over a long period of time and they're happening on a repetitive basis um the impact that that can have on you particularly as a child where you're still developing massive absolutely huge um from my research and it you know any professionals that are looking and watching you develop everything between you know the ages of naught and seven so your your perception your world views everything that's when your your brain builds and, and it puts everything together and that they were possibly the, the worst years of growing up mm. um i was always told there's something wrong with me when i was younger so i got dragged to every sociologist everything every every head doctor as i call them i got dragged to them all because there was something wrong with me because i reacted in what my mum calls weird ways now looking back and i think well i wasn't weird i wasn't reacting in weird ways i was reacting due to the the environment that i was in i didn't know how to react because it's survival as, isn't it yeah even as adults we don't know how to react to these situations so how is a, a small child you react well there's no manual is there i mean no. no one says to us how because ultimately we're we're looking to a parent or somebody to protect us sometimes if there's one parent that drinks and the other parent hopefully might protect the child but we're looking to those parents to educate us about life and how to and to build coping strategies but yeah. if you are in that sort of environment you don't always not everybody has that and you don't get taught those coping strategies um you know to keep you yourself don't. safe to to know that it's okay and um to express how you feel to know that it's not your fault and that you didn't cause this i think the biggest thing for me was and i've only realized this over the last couple of years is when i'm looking at me and my past husband we both went through similar things as, as young children i've gone one way in terms of i, I want to change the patterns i want to break them patterns my children don't experience that <clears throat> i don't want to do drugs i very very rarely drink very rarely drink if i go on a night out i'll have two and that's it he, my ex-husband, he's the father to my youngest. Um, he's still involved with drugs, doesn't drink, but he's, he's still, he's gone on a different path, let's say. He's still involved in that arena of people, yeah. whereas I'm not. And, and I wanted to, I wanted to find out where was, where was the, where was the transition point there? Why have I gone one way and he's gone another way? When we, when I was two, my mum moved um, from, from living with my dad to being single parent with me. Um, and I know it was two because I, I, I know, you know, there's certain points in life where, you know, things have happened. 
we moved into a new house, big house, and we had a next door neighbour, obviously. And um, I was a very cheeky two-year-old, very innocent at that point, and I climbed over the fence and went into next door's garden. Just to say hello, as you do as a cheeky two-year-old, and they were a lovely little old couple. They were, I just remember them now, sat on the deck's chairs, one with a flat cap on, and she sat there with a, with a drink in her hand, and they're like, who's this? this? This random little child coming into the garden. And I think very quickly they realised the situation that was happening next door. They realised what was happening at our house and they kind of took me in. They took me in under the wing. And every single day I went to visit them and every single day they used to make me a sandwich um, for supper. So I used to go around about six, seven o'clock. They used to make me a sandwich. It was either a, a roast beef and pickled onion or it was a, a roast ham and beetroot sandwich and a small glass of Coke, so Coca-Cola. And every night they did that for years they only stopped doing that when i was 17 <laughs> so from 2 to 17 i had a safe place and again and i, didn't I think leave. that's so important i yeah. think that for anyone listening i think and and stuff i've written about i think it's so important for if the child doesn't have that in their home that they can find that somewhere else um because yeah. whether that's a teacher a friend's parents a neighbor like yourself or it, it's just it can be a lifeline can't it it can, and you know what, looking back now, this man, I mean, they had children of their own, but they were grown up. This man is my absolute world, and I owe everything to him. I mean, they, they passed away a very long time ago now, and I still miss them every day. But if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. Say I had multiple suicide attempts as a teenager. He knew what was going on. He, he just saw it. He was the most amazing man in the entire world. He taught me about love and respect and forgiveness because as a teenager I did some utterly horrendous things I was putting myself in dangerous situations just because like you say I needed that excitement because it wasn't going on I needed that adrenaline I needed them hormones so I'd go out clubbing at 13 and 14 um, I was drinking alcohol younger I was stealing I was doing all sorts of silly things and the worst thing I ever did was steal from this man N nothing major significant you know thank goodness but I, I stole from him and he found out and he sat me down and he said, Jen, we've been here all your life. We'll do anything for you. If you want anything, just ask, just do me a favor. Don't steal from me again. And I was utterly mortified because I expected him to shout at me, to throw something, to kick off, to kick me out of the house. Usual behavior that you would have yeah. been used to from your parents. And he just grabbed my hand and he just said, just don't do it again. Yeah. And it absolutely destroyed my world that I'd done this to somebody who'd given me so much respect. But I think we all need that safe place, no matter where it is. Because if we don't have that, we don't learn the, the social norms. We don't learn about relationships, love, forgiveness, trust. And these are the building blocks of human life. We have to learn to trust people. But if you've never been able to trust somebody or anybody in your life, how do you start building them blocks? And it's really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. um, so then that's that's pretty much why I do what I do now because mm. we've there is support out there for children and women who've been through domestic abuse through alcoholism there's lots of abuse out there to deal with that emergency situation right now what about long term what about that child that's been through that because as an adult when they go into employment or you know yeah. to their own business they only need one thing to trigger them so I get triggered off tones of voice somebody is conduct if a man is condescending to me, I trigger massively. And it's something I'm still working on. I massively trigger. That's obviously been a detriment in adult life. 
through you know working experiences because I don't get certain jobs because I've, I've triggered or I've had an anxiety attack or I've shouted at somebody you know something's happened and I've got they've gone she's a bit nuts isn't she we can't work with her and that's all resulting from I like being called nuts it's amazing to have that awareness and I think that a lot of people sometimes will never get to that stage no, and no. to be able to consciously be aware of when they're being triggered um, in you know in their life and Paula I'm sure that you probably can relate to that in terms of you know people or situations that trigger you you know not being told what to do let's say or you mm. know <laughs> yeah it's been a situation recently where someone has been given advice but basically been given an ultimatum if they didn't take that advice now if you're in my close circle of family and friends I become very protective over you and it really didn't go down well you know my heckles were up um who the hell was this person to tell this other person that what they should and shouldn't do you know and um and that's what kind of i was speaking about in the in the in the intro um i've really had to look at that because actually it's me quite happy and willing to take certain advice um, it's me that's got the problem. It's me that has um, an issue with authority and being told what to do. And that's what I've had to look at within myself, really. Um, that, you know, it, it's, it's my stuff, you know, and you, you think you're over stuff and then, and then just something triggers you. And that was it. I was off on a tangent. You know, and I had to seek advice from others. I had to get my head in my big book um, and, and just look within myself because, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it was for the best interest of another person. It wasn't about me. But because I have this really strong protective um, instinct within me around my close family and friends, it's just an instant reaction. Mm. You know, it's just... I'm interested I'm mindful know. of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean but like I said now I can I can I can I don't want to say attack but I can deal with it in in a better way you know I'm, I'm a more way. conscious yeah I'm more conscious about it and I will take time instead of like reacting and going in like a bull in a china shop I, I'll step back you know because that's what I've got to do. Yeah I'm interested Jenny in terms of um Briefly, if you can just sort of explain how you think what's happened, you know, living with somebody, a parent that drank too much and, and obviously how that impacted the domestic abuse, how, how that's directly impacted your behaviours as an adult. Ooh, there's probably lots of ways, but maybe yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple of the main, of a main, some of the main ones maybe that just jump out at you. Definitely un unhealthy coping mechanisms. So I've, I've delved into them as well. When I was in my mid twenties, I, I I took to drink because I didn't. When when the when I was in my first marriage, I didn't know how to handle it. So I started drinking heavily, um, which obviously made things worse. So that just spirals the the situation out. Um, I think we another way it's impacted me as an adult. Um, I'm very angry at everybody, and, and the same as the same as you in terms of 
I like a bull in a china shop. I want to protect everybody around me so they don't go through what I go through. And if someone tells someone yeah. to do something, I'm like, who do you think you are? Um, you know, <laughs> step back. And then it's me that's the problem because the person that was being told was actually okay with it because I'm being triggered, not that person. Um, so that, that, that was a massive one. And just my thought patterns has been the biggest eye opener for me in terms of as the way we think, we think that that's the only way that everybody thinks and in it, in it's not, and we don't understand generally why other people don't think the way we think. And that has been the biggest eye opener for me. Like, well, why are you doing that? I wouldn't do that. doesn't matter. We've all been through different experiences and it's only when you embark on that journey of self-discovery self-enlightenment personal development whatever you want to call it uh, i'm not going to try and be woo woo um but it's whatever you define it as in terms of finding out who you are that has been the biggest biggest thing because i, I realized that a lot of the things i was thinking the lot of things that i was telling myself were actually damaging my progression in my business so I was constantly telling myself that I wasn't worthy. I wasn't good enough. Who was I to do this? You know, who do you think you are? And these were all things that I was taught as a child and they still haunt me as an adult. And I've had to work bloody hard mm. to, to remove those. Now, I, I don't think they'll ever go away. And if there's any, you know, professionals that tell me they can, great. But over years of trying this, I don't think they ever fully go away. I think they're always there in your subconscious. So it's a continuous journey of, trying to keep on top of it and going, do you know what? I am amazing. I have been through a lot and I think it's valuing what we've actually been through and where we are. Yeah. I think that it does um, impact everything. We do, we do believe, obviously as children, we believe what our parents tell us, you know, that's kind of, that's what you do. Um, um, and then unfortunately we then live our life by that um, as adults and actually what they were saying to us wasn't true and it, they were coming from their own place of um, lack, you know, lack of self-esteem for themselves, lack of care for themselves, yeah, yeah. lack of coping strategies. So in a sense, they had a whole host of their own issues and then that inability to properly support us as children had a knock-on effect and then that had a knock-on effect to our adult life. And so, you know, it's this concertina effect that keeps happening. And, you know, and actually they're in a, not I like to talk about victim, but in a sense, they're a victim of their own childhood as well. And, and so that can continue until you break that yeah. cycle, until you start self-developing and actually realizing that the person that we hoped would love us, show us affection and all of that has actually been damaging to us and has provided us with very unhealthy, um, coping strategies and or no strategies at all when actually they were meant to support and protect us and love us um but then we believe all of those things like it's fact when it's I've got quite no way undoing oh sorry yeah they just they say things like it's you know and we believe it like it's fact like you're fat you're thin you're ugly you're this but actually it's not true yeah million percent i'm at the stage now where i'm undoing a lot of i don't like using the word damage but i don't think there's a there's a there's a better word for it right now a lot of the damage that i have done to my children because they have been in those alcoholic um environments um where, where drugs have been yeah. no heavy drugs you know nobody come at me with a pitchfork but it, it's still they've been in that environment when things are happening they've been around in my second marriage where it's been an unhealthy relationship 
and my eldest boy um, was in an unhealthy relationship with a with a with a girl. That was a massive smack in the face when I've had to realise that I've had, I've now got to unpick those unhealthy habits in my own children, and this is why when I realised I have to break this cycle because my mum was in that cycle. I've learned from that cycle. I've been through that cycle. My children have been through it with me, and they carry on that cycle. And it's being aware. And I think a lot of people are not aware and they don't have the capabilities to actually change that. Seek help. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are frightened to go to a psychologist or a counsellor or a coach. Please go to them. They, they are trained for a reason. And I think that's why Paula and I, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, I, we put the group together for the Daughters of Alcoholics because we want a space where the people like us that were children in that environment and that have grown up are starting to realize how that situation has affected them as an adult and they're starting to work through that they're starting to unpick it and starting to think oh so the reason i act like this is because of what happened to me in the past and often they very you know they don't even realize they're the daughters of an alcoholic they don't even you know recognize that term but that is exactly what you know the situation they were in and so i think that's you know why we wanted to create that space because we want to create that safe place and for many it's really hard for them to open up but i think that once they see other people doing it and you know it's like when you share your story um and you know you, you hear someone telling their story like we've heard you today paula and i am you know i'm sure we we can both think yeah definitely relate to all of that and it there's nothing like that connection is there that shared experience yeah definitely so in your work that you do now um are you like supporting people in in work environments or in personal environments so i i'm a i'm a business coach so i work with directors and thought leaders <coughs> excuse me to um progress within their business and a lot of people say well how how, how does your experience translate to that I've been in business um, pretty much since I was 18, 19. So I've got the business experience. And obviously with my past experience, I've been through all the transitions in the business world and experienced quite a lot. And what I realized is, well, the, the stats are out there. I think it's, it's, it's over 94% of entrepreneurs have, you know, quite severe mental health challenges in terms of, you know, complex PTSD, because it doesn't mean being an entrepreneur gives you mental health challenges. It's we become entrepreneurs because we can't cope in the working environment because we've got complex PTSD, severe anxiety, X, Y, Z. Now, business is a process. Business is very simple. Business is A to B, B to C, C to D. Do this, you get that. Do this, you get that. Do that, you get that. It, it's, it's simple. The only thing that confuses it is us and what's up here. So there's a lot of business owners, directors, people that are on the outside, very successful, but inside they're not successful and they're not actually progressing as much as they possibly can or as much as they want because they've got this thought process and the belief system that this is far as they can go or this this happens because this happens so it's about and do you think there's a, a sense of control within that the entrepreneurs it's they're in control they're in yes. the driving seat million yeah. percent but i think the entrepreneurs that i work with 99.9 percent .9 of them don't feel in control they do not feel in control. They've gone into that environment because they don't have someone telling them what to do. 
but then they very quickly realize that they've got a lot of people telling them what to do because their customers their clients they've got you know, people around them are telling them what to do they still have to behave in a certain way in a certain manner so it's a massive shock to the system and you'll see all the stats on business where i think it's again it's over 95 percent of businesses fail within the first three years they are not yes the strategies well, are out there they're simple yeah we are our business at the end of the day and and yes. i you know i used to do business coaching stuff as well and you know and that's exactly where i'd always start because it doesn't matter how clever you are in your business and stuff it you know if you're not right it will impact on your business um so yeah definitely yeah because i suppose if, if you've got someone challenging you or you know trying to knock you down in price or trying to create some kind of deal that puts you on um, uncertain territory, doesn't it? And then that could bring back up lots of stuff. Yeah. Of, you know, I think most of us that have gone through, <clears throat> you know, adverse experiences in the past, we become people pleasers because it's it's a life or death. It's survival mode, isn't it? Well, if I just do what they want, then they'll like me, and then nothing will happen. Nothing bad will happen. <laughs> and in business, if someone asks for a discount, they'll go, oh, "I'll give them the discount because then they'll like me." And I see it all the time and I'm like, please stop doing that. Don't do that. Because there are a lot of chances out there and people will push and push and push. Oh, and I course. see so many business owners that will buckle under pressure because they want that person to be happy so they don't react in a bad way. Yeah, I think there's so many parallels. So many, yeah, I relate to a lot of that definitely. And I think that um, many people out there that are business owners have you know probably gone through some trauma and things like that and like as you well know it comes out in their business so um but we're coming to the end of the podcast my loves um and i would there's loads of the time goes quick and there's so much still left to probably talk about but i'm sure if you're up for it we'll we can pick up this topic again in the future and kind of delve a little bit deeper and um it's just been amazing to have you on and to you know and thank you very much for sharing your story i mean it sounds like it was certainly a tough interesting yeah interesting is better word (laughs) i didn't want to interrupt you i i was quite you know i was with you the whole time you were talking and you know it didn't need interrupting or anything you know it it was wonderful just to listen and and yeah amazing and and i think you've gained those insights as well you've gained those insights and you can you bring that to your to your story as well which is is really helpful those listening as well so yeah big thank you strong lady don't say that <laughs> everybody says that i'm like you don't see me at seven o'clock in the morning when i'm sat rocking in a corner i think that you know the biggest piece of advice and I, I know we need to stop but the biggest piece of advice to, to anybody out there is do you know what it's okay it, it's okay to have a pity party for a day it's okay to cry it's okay to be depressed it's oh it's okay yeah it's yeah. normal yeah it is. i i ditto that it is just to let people know that it's it's okay yeah. you know and it's don't so, be embarrassed such a powerful about thing but i think we yeah. are very good at being hard on ourselves and expecting more and you know pick yourself up and get on with it and don't be so pathetic and we say all these things but actually as you know the saying goes we wouldn't say that to other people to our friends and you know and we need to be a higher priority and so we need to stop saying that to ourselves um, because actually it doesn't make us feel any better. You've got to start believing it. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you.